0: Welcome back everyone to the Philosopher's Stone podcast. Episode I don't know anymore. 6 maybe? Five. Season 2. Uh very exciting. It's the holiday season. We're coming up on Christmas. Sam, are you excited for Christmas or do you do your <laughs> Uh
1: no, I'm excited for- <laughs> because of your the,
0: the Jewiness <laughs> cuz of I'll that do. Jewiness you got. Uh
1: no, we're the we're the uh, the good kind of Jews that uh, worship. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, the the Christ fearing kind.
0: Oh, what's the other kind? They don't give a shit about Christ.
1: No, nah, I'm just kidding. They're all good.
0: They're all good. How am I what percent? Like, because you have Jewish heritage, yeah, heritage. right? Or did we just make fun of you? And <laughs> okay, <laughs> did we just call you a Jew all the time in high school because you had curly hair? No, no, no I, I
1: think uh, I would say I'm probably like 25. percent I don't know exactly how it works. I think my mom's mom was was Jewish.
0: That's good. That I,
1: I have cousins in Israel. That's a pretty good percentage, man. You could.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, I remember that. Okay, yeah. So you're in there. You're in the clan. The tr- you're in the clan. We should have called this podcast "The, the, German, <laughs> the German and
1: the <laughs> Jew," right? <laughs> Are you gonna say we should have called this podcast the Clan? Like, <laughs> <laughs> the
0: Clan, the Clan, oh, The Clan. Uh, what do you got, Clancast?
1: cast. <laughs> we would get
0: probably like a frightening number oh, of downloads. We'd get we'd way get more downloads, way more terrified. engagement,
1: way we, we'd get way more everything.
0: <laughs> oh, we'd definitely get more engagement. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> We'd be getting our email box would be just flooded with just hate speech emails that we would have to read every day, every week on the podcast. Of, but but th- luckily we are not racist. Money
1: though, Like the money. Wow. <laughs> that must be some good cash.
0: You know that there's people out there that don't actually like, they don't actually hate minorities, but they're cashing in on like these, the uptick that's happening in like, white supremacy you know oh, there's people oh, like yeah. that out there that are just like i don't care you gotta what they got
1: clan cash
0: <laughs> they don't care what the cause is as long as it that clan dude it's a great word it goes with like everything <laughs> don't don't say don't say no right away but here we go cryptocurrency clan, clan coin, coin. <laughs> <laughs> clan <laughs> coin all
1: right
0: <laughs> that's good decent you guys you gotta demonetize the uh, the democrats we gotta get our take back our currency. I'm surprised
1: they're not in on uh, crypto. Clan coin. Wow. That's so great.
0: Clan coin. There you go. There you go. There's our billion dollar got, idea.
1: Gotta buy like lives, every but, internet uh, domain with clan first, like clan cash, clan cast, clan coin. Just buy every every clan related internet domain.
0: <laughs> you want that to be filed That's under your cool. name. Yeah, maybe not. Plus, you're gonna to have to be in the background. You're gonna to have to be like the Wozniak, and I do the deep <laughs> jobs because they, they're gonna find out about your twenty five percent, and then the whole thing's That's over. True.
1: Well, we just buy the domains and then sell them for huge amounts of money to the clan.
0: <laughs> do you think that there's something unethical if you did that? Um, what if you overcharge them by like a ridiculous amount, like you gouge oh, the hell out of them? Would that be kind of a stick? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking
1: all their money. That's a good question. Yeah. Emmanuel Kent, I don't know. He might say that's not good. I don't know. I think it would be okay. You know, fight fire with fire.
0: All right. Well, let's <laughs> buy up all white supremacist related domain names we can get our, our greasy little rat. <laughs> who well, you a rat? Start that's explo- a, exploiting exploiting
1: a, a slur. <Sorry>. Is that a slur for oh, a yeah. Jewish person? They were, uh, I think like cockroaches and rats. I mean, that's like any, ah. any social, any group that you want to dehumanize, you compare them to vermin, like rats, cockroaches. Yeah. 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 True. Speaking. Oh, sorry.
0: But only certain only vermin, right? certain vermin. Like you can't call some like. Yeah, like a bunch of hamsters isn't really a bad thing. I don't thing, consider hamsters right? vermin. <laughs> vermin or... are... <laughs> okay, how about how, a bunch of... Uh, like, how about this? Like, you wouldn't call a group of people like a, a bunch
1: of marmots. No, although a security guard like, at... Sure, it's not a compliment, a security but security guard it's... at the place where I used to take piano lessons said that his sister had married a marmot and that she now lived in Utah. And so we inferred that he meant a Mormon. Oh, no. <laughs> a marmot, a marmot. A marmot.
0: <laughs> see like if i called if i got called if i got called a marmot i wouldn't think immediately it was an insult so, mm. but i wouldn't think as a compliment either i think they were they would be like addressing like i don't know if i was a hoarder yeah. or something like a like a squirrel people aren't getting offended by call if you call them a squirrel yeah right they're kind they're of marmots.
1: well i don't know at the cemeteries where i worked there were ground Farm. dogs and the mexican guys had like a kill on sight policy with these ground dogs where like if we were driving in like the little little gator and they had a shovel and they saw a marmot as they were driving they would they would steer with one hand and then they would like heft the shovel like a spear and launch it at the marmot like as they were driving like a it was a pretty epic (laughs) Sounds like a
0: fun job. It sounds like a fun <laughs> workplace culture. Honestly, <laughs> uh, so any any uh, any 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 fun things happened to you since we spoke? And well, rest? speaking
1: of all all this talk about Hanukkah and uh, and Jewish people, there was there there was a something that happened to me that was pretty strange. I was walking down the street and this pickup truck, and suddenly, like, I heard this hiccup. Hiccup truck pick pick up truck a hiccup truck hiccup <laughs> hiccup truck. H, driving okay. down on the on the opposite side of the street with a giant menorah like the hanukkah lamp thing in the bed like all lit up with leds yeah. just playing like this super upbeat like jewish like dancing music like ah, da, 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 just like <laughs> driving down the street and this And then, like, someone through a megaphone was just yelling, like, Happy Hanukkah! Happy Hanukkah! Just... Wow.
0: Getting into the spirit. Well, that's something you wouldn't see in my city, (laughs) that's for sure. I think that that would... Like, I honestly... I'm starting to think there's a lot of, like, (laughs) very not cool people (laughs) in my city. Just... just As far as diversity is not on... Well, it's weird. You get one or the other. You get like really like, you know, anti-immigration, like really like you get mm. those types and then you get like the other like everything is and no one that's it, like there's also the other type where their attitude is if you're not white, you can't do any any mm. wrong yes. <laughs> in this world like evil belongs exclusively to yeah. white people. You get those type of people and then you get the other type that are like trying yeah. to prove them. Right. Well, I
1: don't know. It's, it's, it's like a, like our, our friend Zach, right. He had that reclining bike and he couldn't even ride that down the road without yeah. people like driving by and calling him weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a little weird, but it was dope. Yeah. Yeah. Clone is an, an interesting town. That's for sure. I don't think Zach
0: Zach doesn't care if people. No, think no, no, weird. But Like
1: it Kelowna is like, uh, I feel like there's a certain, a certain vibe. Like that town can get a bit aggressive. I would say. It can get a bit aggressive. Yeah, it, it yeah. can. It can.
0: <laughs> you never know who you're gonna run into, like an angry woke person, or like an angry <laughs> oil. They're just down here spending oh, their oil yeah. money.
1: <laughs> oh, speaking of of rage, I was walking home from the grocery store yesterday. And I witnessed road rage between a guy on, like, this tiny little uh, motorized scooter and this, like, huge, like, black uh, truck, like, an F-350, like, this huge truck. And then this guy on, pulls up yeah. beside the truck on the on, on his scooter at the stoplight, and he just starts yelling, like, hey, fucko. And then he's, like, punching the window with these, like, weak little punches, like, come out and, and do something about it, fucko. Like, just pump-
0: yeah really you wouldn't expect that from the guy on the little scooter, No, it was just you? the
1: sound that his fist made when it connected with this like tinted out window was just hilarious like the weakest little thump like just totally futile <laughs> come on fucko
0: I i'm surprised that guy is it like isn't like constantly in the hospital from getting <laughs> his <laughs> ass kicked he
1: seemed like i mean he seemed like he didn't really uh he seemed like a very angry powerless person so no one i don't know if anyone would angry and powerless
0: powerless.
1: (laughs) well that brings to mind one
0: of the hosts of the uh, back table comedy (laughs) podcast (laughs) a a man by the name of Josh Ashton whose mouth signs many checks that his body cannot (laughs) cash and historically he's gotten Uh, his ass kicked (laughs) a couple of times that I know of Uh, no history of self-defense in his arsenal uh, not exactly an imposing figure in general but he he will talk shit to anyone of any <laughs> size
1: good, good for him I, I can't do that
0: i mean i respect it but it's also like i don't want to be that either no you don't you don't
1: want to be that and you don't want to be with them when they're doing it to somebody else you don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, you don't. you don't. What's the one thing? That's the one thing in my life I hope I never have to do, which is stick up for somebody. Because I don't know if I will. <laughs> that's one thing in life I hope I never have
0: to do is stick up for somebody. The words. That was the most cowardly shit I've heard in a long time. Said.
1: Depends on, on.
0: My nightmare is having to stick up for somebody. Well, someone. like, if it's their fault, like,
1: if, if they have. If they have provoked the situation, then I don't want to have to help them out of it.
0: Well, any man who's, like, had a girlfriend that runs their mouth a lot knows the feeling of realizing your girlfriend's about to sign you up for a fight against people that you will definitely lose against. <laughs> and they don't they don't <laughs> give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. Or they don't realize that they're not that, like... It's just that it's a totally different thing. Like if you talk shit to this group of guys that are harassing us, they're not coming after <laughs> you.
1: <laughs> they're coming after me. Yeah. I think, I think they know that. And, uh, and I think that's why they do it. Cause I think, think they feel know that like invincible. Like when they're with like their boyfriend, they feel like invincible. Like they can do anything.
0: Oh, yeah. To me, that's a red flag. Yeah, if a girl yeah. does that. Well, yeah, yeah, it should be. I mean, definitely should be. Yeah, absolutely. Especially a street fight. Like, you're signing them up for a street fight where you might never be the same. No, all
1: it takes is one person to, like... All you have to do is fall over and hit your head. And you can be pretty much
0: fucked. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, you can. You can be a totally different person. So... Any, uh, any hot-headed girlfriends that are listening to this don't try not to sign your boyfriend up for street <laughs> fights without <laughs> unless they are legitimately like the best fighter on the planet and either, even then like a anything nice can happen you're signing a you're signing them up for yeah you don't know they might have weapons on them like you anything can happen in the streets so if you can avoid any altercation in the streets I that mm. is my recommendation yeah. for the week. Avoid street combat. Pistols at dawn. And yeah, yeah. Getting a, Get a duel. I don't know. Rules. I don't gentlemanly know. conduct. It, it, it sucks having it sucks. It sucks having to like run away from a fight because you feel like a bitch. But feeling like a bitch goes away. All right. Yeah. CTE <laughs> comes back years later. Next thing you know, you're running down the road with a gun <laughs> shooting people. So. You got to pick your poison on that one. Feel like a bitch for like a couple days or uh, do the quote-unquote manly thing, and get in a street fight. If you win, I mean, best case scenario, you accept the fight, you beat the shit out of five dudes, and you look like a hero, yeah. right?
1: that would be awesome.
0: You got to know your abilities, and I know mine, and mine are
1: not winning in a street fight. My, yeah, my abilities are like – I have talked my way <laughs> – I can look at something behind them and go "Holy shit!" and then run in the opposite direction. That's what I could do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I've talked my way out of uh, getting my ass kicked a few times, uh, quite a few times. Um,
1: That's also a skill.
0: Somehow, because whenever I. If I ever – at the times I can recall where I w- was having to talk myself out of getting my ass kicked, I was incredibly drunk. And somehow – I think that the the key is to appeal to their ego, right? Like, you know, what are you going to get out of fighting someone like me? It's like beating <laughs> yeah. up a girl. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm like an old man. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Yeah. You're better than that. Do you want me to find someone that would really challenge you? Challenge your skills. A man like you. You need to challenge it. I'm not that.
1: I'll I'll <laughs> book go you find one. some I'll other poor
0: you. bastard. <laughs> Become their manager. <laughs> yeah. Hey, here's the deal. I'm your I'm your yeah, I'm your agent now, bud. Glad we met. Hope you like making money. <laughs> uh
1: that's great. Well, hmm. I wish I had a well, segue. I just don't. I
0: did a uh, I did my well, I'll tell you my one okay. quick story while it's fresh in my mind. And then uh, so I went to Kamloops on Saturday for Drew McLean's memorial, which is beautiful. It was outside. There was like 200 people there. And then that night I did my first uh, Christmas corporate of the season. Uh-huh. Have you done a Christmas corporate before, Sam? Um,
1: is that a, like a euphemism for some sort of raunchy sex? No,
0: that's when a company has their Christmas party for like the year-end Christmas party. And for their entertainment, they hire a comedian instead of, say, a magician or a band.
1: Okay. No, I've not done a Christmas corporate, I don't think.
0: So we got hired. Um, I took Sam Elliott and Stuart Jones with me because i needed to fill an hour and a half and i can't do that on my own that's for sure and they are both very funny and generally on the cleaner side so that's the thing Mm -hmm. with corporates is that you're you're gonna you kind of have to plan that you're gonna have to be kind of clean because you're kind of you're there to represent you're there to entertain a whole unit as in one unit of people instead of a bunch of strangers so you can't you got it like they kind of want you to be cleaner so that they don't have to deal with one of their employees that's gotten offended the next day or whatever, right? Well, Generally speaking, you want to have people that can do some decently clean material for a while. Um, so we get to this, uh, the, it was at a restaurant, like a five star restaurant, which I don't even think I've ever been in a restaurant us? that nice. They had like the brigade of chefs, like, yeah, at the casino. Wow. They, they had this like brigade, like you know, they they had like brigades of people in the kitchen, all like working on one part of one dish, like it was that type of like restaurant. Mm-hmm. And uh, the 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 thing that really fucked us, I feel, is that all of these booths, so everybody was in booths, <laughs> um, but the because of such a fancy restaurant, the booth backs were so high that like everybody, like almost no one could, like I'd say probably. Half of the employees were not able to see us unless they wanted to, like, stand on their their booth chair and, like, look over the back mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> so, we had that going against us. Um, And it was essentially everybody barely tolerating the show except for the guy who owned the company that we were performing for. So, we got lucky there. He was <laughs> loving it. Absolutely loving it. But his whole rest of his employees were very meh <laughs> about the whole thing. It was definitely one of those shows where you had to earn every dollar up there. Paid nice. hey, great, but it was like it felt weird. Like just it's it's such a surreal feeling doing stand up, and you're doing your jokes that you know will work in most cases, and then you're doing them in this scenario, and it's just not yeah. working. <laughs> it's like spider-man can't climb a wall anymore like it's that feeling it's like you're just you're you're slipping and you're like oh what the hell i climbed this wall all the time but today just sliding down yeah that's what corporates are they're they're like usually they're they're, the work the situation is working against you but you get paid the most uh so i don't know you know that's just my story
1: that's my story i like it it's a christmas story no, what if it's a Christmas What miracle. if you're doing a corporate, a Christmas corporate at the clan? Would that have to be clean?
0: No, no, I think they might lynch you <laughs> if you're clean. <laughs> they'd, they'd probably request that you show up in blackface <laughs> or something and do your whole act as, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I couldn't. I don't know, man. I probably would turn down that gig. I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna turn that Good one move. down, yeah
1: good vision you have good vision
0: but by far the worst the worst shows I've ever done have been corporates
1: but the money but
0: the money. but the money but that almost makes it worse because you're like I can't believe I'm getting paid so well for this absolute dud of a show
1: hey you've, you've, you've anyway you the money you got the bag that's what Christmas is all about money yeah <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> that's true. You're not wrong. It did kind of feel like one of those shows where you just like you grab, you get the money and you
1: that's get nice. the hell out of there. Get the money, get In out. fact,
0: that's what, that's what Sam Elliott said as soon as the show was done. He came up to the table because he was hosting and he's like, So, uh, you guys want to get the hell out of here? <laughs> we're like, Yep. <laughs> nice. It's almost like highway robbery, that, that feeling. Anyways, let's get into the topic for this week.
1: Uh, what do you got for me, uh, Sam? So, today, we're going to be talking about something called Molly News Problem. Molly News Problem. Okay. And according to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, Molly News Problem is one of the most fruitful thought experiments ever proposed in the history of philosophy.
0: Holy shit, that is quite the ac- uh, accolade? Accolade? Yeah. accolade? Mm-hmm. accolade? That's quite the accolade. So i should I should be able to be enriched intellectually after this podcast.
1: Uh, yeah, I would hope so. Enriched in mind.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this Hit is it's,
1: this is also it's an interesting philosophical thought experiment, but the history of the problem sort of shows how what starts as a philosophical thought experiment can eventually be verified or even answered by a scientific experiment.
0: Oh, that must be the that must be such a good feeling for <laughs> philosophers if they ever lived to see that happen.
1: Yeah, I think everyone involved here was long dead. But
0: um Yeah, well that seems to be the case. Like philosophers have the idea so early <laughs> and then scientists prove it like way yeah. later.
1: Yeah. Okay, so so this is uh, this problem came around during the Enlightenment. Uh and during the Enlightenment, optics was an extremely popular topic among scientists and perception was a popular topic with philosophers.
0: So we're talking what you're seeing with your Mm -hmm. eyes and how you're perceiving things. Yeah. Okay. And
1: one of the leading philosophers on perception was a guy named John Locke. And we're probably gonna have to do a whole episode on him because he's a very important philosopher and
0: I recognize that name. I've heard it before. There's a character
1: in Lost named after him. Um. That's probably where I heard it from. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so Locke, uh, he was an empiricist, one of the, the granddaddies of empiricism. And he believed that all of our ideas that we have, we acquire them through our senses. So he famously said that the mind is a tabula rasa, a blank slate. And you only get ideas by experiencing the world with your senses. So, Locke thought that some ideas come to us from just one sense. For example, uh, the idea of the color red—you get that idea from one sense, your vision. Yeah. Yeah. So far, so good. <laughs> That's true.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, the, the color red, the scent of cinnamon that's uh-huh. one scent right although taste and smell can be uh-huh. very very they're interlinked pretty strongly so that's not really one yeah, sense exactly. are smell and taste essentially one no, sense no they're different is it like two is it like two doors t- to the same building
1: um if your brain is the building then yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't make me feel like an idiot this early on saying <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay. Well, you're right. Uh, okay. S- some, some <laughs> ideas are a combination of senses, right? So like maybe taste, maybe taste is a combination of taste and smell. Could be true. Could be true. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't really taste stuff. Like if your smell, like that's why little kids will like fl- plug their nose or whatever, when they eat something they don't like, because it makes it not taste as much
1: as powerful yeah, rather. Exactly. Um,
0: Yeah. So, so Locke. So those are two. They're linked.
1: linked. Yeah. Yeah. And Locke acknowledged that he thought that other ideas, complex ideas, you can only acquire them through a combination of senses. So, like the idea of an apple would involve a combination of uh, senses: the taste of it, the smell of it, the look of it, the feel of it, and uh, these senses combined to give you ideas about the apple, like its shape, its figure, its texture, like all these sorts of different ideas. You com- have to combine senses together. Yeah, and uh, Locke argued that if someone lacks a particular sense, they will never be able to acquire the ideas that relate to that sense. So, a blind person will never have the idea of color. That would be that would, that's Locke's conclusion. Right. Yeah. And so, Molly New's problem. So this is how you can see like we're starting to get close to scientific experiments a little bit but this is back we have to remember that this is way back in like the 16 and 1700s that they're talking so so here here enter molyneux William molyneux of Dublin Ireland so he Dublin, Dublin. so he he writes uh, fight in round the world round the world he's not even Irish he's Australian Russell Crowe Oh, okay. I mean, Conor McGregor is living out that fantasy in real life, but anyway. (laughs) That's true. Um,
0: Conor McGregor hasn't won a fight since 2016, if I recall.
1: Did you see him yesterday on Twitter? Oh my God, the guy. He won. (laughs) No. He wins on Twitter all the time. What do you mean he won? (laughs) Oh, Twitter warrior. Anyway. Can't believe Amanda Nunes lost. True. We should do like an after episode and talk about the UFC. That's true. Yeah.
0: Keep us on the straight and narrow. John Locke, color, sight, senses, ideas. Here we
1: go. So William Molyneux, he sent John Locke a letter on July 7th, 1688, posing the following question. And this this is great. This is the way they talked in 1688. William Molyneux said, suppose a man born blind and now adult and taught by his touch to distinguish between a cube and a sphere, so as to tell when he felt one and t'other which is the cube, which the sphere. Suppose then the cube and sphere placed on a table, and the blind man to be made to see. Query whether by his sight, before he touched them, he could now distinguish and tell which is the sphere, which the cube.
0: Ooh that is crazy to think about actually. Yeah. Would he be able to?
1: That's the question. Locke Locke replied your ingenious problem will deserve to be published to the world. And so Locke published that question in his big book that was coming out that year. And this problem attracted attention from the top minds of the day, Berkeley, Leibniz, Voltaire, William James, um And many people since then have all weighed in on this problem.
0: and I'd like to hear some of their thoughts because I you just blew my mind. Well, (laughs) William Molyneux blew my mind.
1: So so basically, if, if you couldn't parse the old English, basically the question is someone's born blind and then they're taught to know what is a cube and what is a globe or a sphere just by touch. So they can touch it and they know it's they'll say like, oh, that's the sphere and then you put the cube in their hand and they're like, oh, yep, that's the cube, but they can't see it. Then one day, you put the sphere and the cube on a table, give them their vision, and can they tell just by looking which one is the sphere and which one is the cube, but they're not allowed to touch. So
0: That to me seems like that almost makes me think that giving someone their sight that's been blind their whole life is almost a cruelty to them. (laughs) If that's true, like, like, I think they would just be flooded with a sense of confusion that they wouldn't be able to understand what anything they're see- like seeing would even is. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. Yeah. Like let's, uh, so exactly. Um, or would they be? Well, most, a lot of philosophers, their, their answer was no. And, but we have to understand that this in the 18th century, it was considered impossible for someone who was born blind to acquire sight. So the philosophers of this time consider this to be like a thought experiment. Like there's no way you can solve this with a real science experiment. So the only thing you can do is just think about it. So right. So, uh, there it would help a little bit to talk about what does it mean to see. So for examples, like we're saying that this person can see. So what does that mean? Well, there are some extremely primitive organisms that have like light sensitive patches on their bodies that can just detect whether or not light is shining on them. And then other organisms might have like a two dimensional vision, like they can see a flat plane. And then some organisms have three dimensional vision. And then some organisms might have three dimensional vision, but lack what is called intentional content. So that means their visual experiences are not about anything. So the best way to think of that is like when you look at a chair, your visual experience is about the chair. But if you were a Martian and you had no idea what a chair was and you saw a chair, your visual experience would not be about a chair. It would just be about some metal pieces joined together at right angles and you wouldn't really know what you're looking at.
0: Yeah, I think we talked about this before. Like, would someone who's never seen a chair know what it's for if they just saw it for the first time? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So, so, uh, so if you, so for for Molly New's person to be able to just look at two shapes and say, at a minimum, which is a globe and which is a cube, then at a minimum, they would have to have three dimensional vision with intentional content. So that's like that's like yeah. at the very minimum. So the only problem for Molyneux-Person is they didn't acquire their ideas of the globe and the cube from vision. They acquired them from touch. So at the heart mm-hmm. of the question is, can your like, idea, like an idea that you've gotten from touch, like a touch idea, when you see something, does your mind automatically connect the idea that you're getting from vision with the idea that you got from touch? Does your mind automatically connect those two things immediately so that you know that they're identical? And uh, that's the question. I, I,
0: I don't know, that's, <laughs> that's a weird thing to think yeah. about. Cause obviously I like, I know, well, me and you, we know by handling things throughout our lives with touch and sight combined I know that when I touch a corner of a, a cube, I know what that's going to feel like before. uh, Like I I can look at a cube and I know what the corners and edges are going to feel like before I touch them. Yeah. But if I had never seen the corner of a cube before, would I put that, that idea of what it feels like with the idea of what it feels like coming to my mind at all?
1: I don't, I don't know if it would. Yeah. So yeah, so basically like the, the, the question is about what's the relationship between the ideas you get from your vision and the ideas that you get from your touch. And they the philosophers, they all sort of fall into three, three camps. So the first, the, the first camp is, um, would be if you would answer yes to the question and that would be a necessary connection that you get from reason alone. So that would be a yes. Like if you know what a, a sphere feels like, then when, as soon as you see a sphere, you will immediately know that they are connected, that they're the same thing. And you don't, you don't have to touch them at all. You just know that through a pure operation of your mind.
0: Now, here's a question. How long does Molyneux's patient or whatever, the blind guy who got his sight back, would he be able to piece it together over if he stared at these objects for say 10 minutes i mean instantly he might not know but if he sat and looked at him for long enough and then remembered how what like would he eventually be able to put it together giving a few moments so if you or would it just never
1: happen well okay so if you're in the camp that thinks that you can that the connections between the ideas are from reason alone then you would you would say that like yeah given sufficient time and let him let him look at them from all angles eventually he'd yeah. just be able just from thinking about it he would eventually be able to uh to, to realize which was which he would be able to answer the question correctly
0: that's what i, I think he would be able to okay so th- if you gave him time maybe not immediately but give
1: him time yeah. okay so then uh, the next the other one is uh this would be an answer would be no and that is if you say that the relationship between the ideas is necessary but you can only you can only know which is which if you have some experience to show you that connection so in this case uh, they would only be able to tell if they were to touch it but then as soon as they touched it they would they would know like oh yeah this is the sphere this is the cube and then the last one mm-hmm. the weirdest one is the relationship is arbitrary and it's from experience. So if the relationship is arbitrary, then it might be possible for you to see something that looks like a sphere. But when you touch it, it feels like a cube. And that would be arbitrary.
0: That's, that's, that, that would be, that would be really fucky. That
1: would be really fucky. You (laughs) know
0: what brought to mind, what that brought to mind? Have you ever done that thing? when you were like a kid or whatever I need to do it as an adult does age doesn't matter here, but where you cross your fingers together, uh-huh. with your index and your middle finger and you cross them together and then you take a stone or, or any object and you, you, you put it in between your fingertips now where they're crossed, and you move it around and your brain, because it's so used to feeling, uh, things on the one side of the finger or whatever, It's not used to like organizing these two fingers being crossed and and then the tips being touched. It feels when you move something back and forth in there, it feels like there's two separate objects being moved. Do you ever do that when you're, you can just try it right now. Just cross your index finger in your middle and then then close your eyes and move an object in there. If you were just told, if you didn't know that you were putting one object in there, it would, it feels like there's two objects being touched to your fingers. Weird.
1: Yeah, that is weird um and okay so
0: so that's like a that's almost like a ghost like a phantom object is in there like i'm thinking of like if i went to pick up a ball and it felt like a square in my hand how quickly would i recognize that probably right away and it would freak me out
1: well there was one philosopher who thought that that was in fact what's going on and that was george berkeley i think we talked about him before um but his answer to the question was no um, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to tell which was the sphere in which the cue. And that's because the, the connection of ideas between sensory ideas of touch and ideas from vision is just arbitrary. There's nothing about the way something looks that will tell you by reason alone, how it feels or vice versa. The only way without that, experience, without, ex, without experience. Exactly. It's all arbitrary, but through experience, we learn to associate, um, certain ideas. So Berkeley, yeah. like for example, so, he he didn't think anyone used so, three j- dimensional vision. You don't wait, you don't what? have three dimensional vision. All you perceive are are light and color on a flat plane. But experience teaches you that there's depth and distance, but you don't get those ideas from vision. That's terrifying it's, it's it's to think weird. about for some reason. Um, but the,
0: I was just the thinking, like, if, the- oh, sorry, if you took a blind person, if you took, like, a, say, a, uh, we'll do the experiment of a blind person and a non blind person, you bring them into a room and you put a brick and then a pillow on a table, <laughs> and the blind person opened their eyes or saw their, got their vision or whatever back, they wouldn't be able to tell you that the brick, is hard and the pillow is soft just Um, by looking at them
1: yeah so it they would they would not be able to tell if the connection between the ideas of touch and vision is necessary and learned from experience or arbitrary and learned from experience yeah crazy that's 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 how that goes um other philosophers obviously totally rejected berkeley's idea. Um, And they would say, they might say yes or no, but most people don't agree with Berkeley. He's very radical. So for example, Locke believed that the answer is no. The person would have to touch the objects to understand the connection between the tactile sensations and the visual sensations. But Locke believed that the connection between the ideas is necessary, not arbitrary. So Locke would say that something that feels like a cube will never look like a sphere. Like there's a reason. Right. There's a reason cubes feel like they do, and it's because of their shape. And you will never perceive a shape of a cube to feel like a sphere. Like it just it just won't happen. But unless you have the experience to connect those two ideas, you won't be able to figure it out through reason alone. So that's Locke's position. And Molly news as well.
0: You would like to think that you would be able to tell. Like, obviously, <laughs> if I've touched a cube, I know that there's edges on it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then when I see a ball, I'm not seeing any edges. So like you you're if you have a cube in your hand, you can count multiple sensations of edges, right? And you look at a ball, you can't see more you can't see numerous things about the ball. There's no there's nothing to it that requires you to think there's nothing about a ball that has multiple uh i guess features on it so if you know a cube has multiple features on it and you look at an object and there's no there's not multiple features on it you can kind of deduce that that's not a cube
1: yeah we we would we would think so but remember like someone who's born blind has never seen an edge before so they might not even have an idea of what an edge is so but anyway let's uh right so this problem is very very intractable there's obviously wildly different views on it fortunately for us in the in 1728 an english surgeon named william Cheseldon successfully removed the cataracts from the eyes of a young boy named daniel Dolans. so cataracts are not the same as congenital blindness so, like your your or your your retinas are still functioning; they work, but they're blocked by this cataract thing. So, if you can take the cataract yeah, it's like out, a, it's the,
0: like a callus on your lens.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So if you take that thing out, then the person has full vision immediately. And uh, so Cheselden did this surgery on this boy, and he reported he reported that when the boy first saw, and quote, he knew not the shape of anything nor any one thing from another, however different in shape or magnitude. Having forgot which was the cat and which the dog, he was ashamed to ask. But catching the cat, which he knew by feeling, he was observed to look at her and say, oh, you're the cat. I shall know you another time.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So that kind of gives uh, credit to they wouldn't know uh the difference between a sphere and a cube until they
1: touched it. It would seem, it would seem to, um, Locke wrote about it. He, he wrote, he knew how cat or dog affects his touch yet he has not yet attained the experience that what affects his touch so-and-so must affect his sight so-and-so but other people were not convinced. They, they thought that these results do not provide a firm answer. Uh, the philosopher Diderot, he, he argued the boy's eyes might not be functioning properly yet. They haven't had time to recover from the operation. Maybe Cheseldon asked the boy leading questions. So these right. other people, they want a more scientific experiment. They want rigor. They want controls. Um,
0: yeah. Well, imagine I was just thinking about it. Imagine how te- confusing it would be to not be able to distinguish one object from another. Uh, yeah. Or even that there are separate objects because, like, like, uh, what Berkeley was saying, everything might appear at first as a flat image until you realize that there's depth,
1: yeah. Well, yeah, people, I mean, everyone knows from experience that their eyes can play tricks on them, and you can be quite surprised by things like refraction yeah. in water and stuff like that. Uh, but, but, yeah, Glad, good thing you brought up Berkeley because he's about to take a big L. <laughs> uh. Berkeley, my boy. <laughs> yeah. I like you swinging for the fences, but I don't, it doesn't always go your way. Yeah. So the uh, all these investigations into Molyneux's problem lead led to people um, eventually disproving Berkeley's Berkeley's theory. So another British scientist named Charles Wheatstone discovered, uh, I think it's called stereopsis or binocular vision, and so this is how when you have binocular vision, your eyes are at like, are at an angle to each other. Like our eyes don't just stare straight ahead out of our face with two and two parallel lines. They're actually at opposing angles. So they, if you drew a line from the center of each eye, they would eventually cross. They'd and cross right. No, they'd hit the point that you're looking at, right? They hit the point that you're looking at. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, So what, what happens is when you have these two eyes that perceive the same object from different angles and distances, it creates a sort of compound object that has multiple dimensions, a three-dimensional structure with depth. So three-dimensional images are like built into binocular vision. And so Berkeley's theory is pretty much disproved.
0: Idiot. That's what I've always (laughs) said about him. (laughs) Yeah. Fucking idiot, dude! I could have been such a top
1: philosopher back in the day. <laughs> yeah, top dog, Berkeley, idiot. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, so then we can come to the modern. But someone results. with one eye,
0: someone with one eye—that's that's where you lose your depth perception, right? So if it, if you if everybody yeah. had one eye, then he'd be right.
1: That's true. Or if you uh, are one of those creatures that has an eye, you have your eyes on opposite sides of your head. I think. Right.
0: I think that to me still out. blows my mind. What the hell is going on in their heads? <laughs> like what?
1: Man. What is it? It's like, it must be like how we hear. It must be something like that. Maybe I
0: guess. I don't know, man. Yeah, don't like know, what man. is the image being built in the brain? Is it just a straight up split screen?
1: I don't know. I don't think, I think maybe the takeaway from this is that we can't know that.
0: And can <laughs> one eye like screen peek on the other eye, like you know what I mean? Screen peek, <laughs> like, like is there a split screen happening in their in their mental image of their surroundings? Like <laughs> uh, it's just something that I, just, I mean, obviously I just don't understand it. But
1: yeah, we I don't think uh, we could do another episode on that. There's a great a paper written by a guy named Thomas Nagel called "What's It Like to Be a Bat?" and it's kind of about that.
0: Oh, I was just listening to a uh, Sam Harris podcast where they were talking about that.
1: Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, Okay. So, all right. So, the modern results. So, it's very difficult to do an experiment to solve the Molyneux problem because it's hard. Up until modern times, it's been very hard to find anyone who was born congenitally blind and then restored to sight in their adulthood. In the 1970s, it was estimated that only 20 people in the last 1,000 years had been born blind and then in later in life regained their sight.
0: That is a very small sample size.
1: Yeah. 20 people in a 1,000 years. Um, That's wild. Yeah. And so now in modern times, generally, if someone is born congenitally blind and it's curable, they're cured as soon as possible. So you can't. And you can't do the millennium problem with like a baby because they don't have the concepts of cubes and, and spheres.
0: So when Jesus healed the blind man, <laughs> his reaction should have been, what the fuck am I looking at? <laughs> 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 yeah. He saw Jesus for the first time. What the hell? Ugh.
1: Take it back. I don't want this <laughs> yeah, take shit. It <laughs> God, you're
0: ugly. <laughs> I remember hearing about a, uh, or something about a guy who was deaf who somehow they fixed his hearing and he was old. He was like in his 60s or something. They like repaired his hearing and he hated it. Mm-hmm. He was completely, uh, annoyed constantly by how loud everything was and how much noise there was to hear like all the little tiny noises that being you will just like filter out those became like forefront things that he couldn't ignore uh and he said it was just like they want he wanted them to uh change it back whoa (laughs) yeah that's kind of crazy (laughs) i I feel like that might happen with someone with sight too like if you're not, if you're mm-hmm. 60 years old, you lived your whole life as a blind person. Suddenly you got like the most uh, intense sense you can have bat- put into you and you have no yeah. experience with it. Like that might just become overwhelming immediately.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so fortunate. Okay. So yeah, like we said, can't really do this experiment on a, on a baby. So in most developed countries, there aren't a lot of subjects, but in the early 2000s, a guy named Pawan Sinha from MIT ran a program in India where he treated five patients, ages eight to 17, who were born congenitally blind, and he performed a single operation on them that took them from total blindness to fully seeing. And then 48 hours later, they were given the Mali New problem and the results drum roll
0: (laughs) one put the cube up its butt
1: well okay so uh no and and no
0: (laughs) sorry any doctors listening to this um actually they probably wouldn't be that surprised (laughs) yeah they probably found weirder things
1: (laughs) um yeah so the the subject's could easily distinguish between the two shapes on a visual basis. Like they knew they weren't the same shape. They knew that they knew really? the two shapes were different. Yeah. They knew they were well, different, yeah. right? They'd yeah. look at them and they'd be like, Oh yeah, I know those aren't the same, but well, they yeah, could yeah, not yeah. form the connection between the object that they had perceived with touch. And then the same object perceived by sight. Their test Wild. results. Were, yeah. The results were slightly better than just pure guesswork, flipping a coin. However, That's crazy. Within, yeah. Within days, they rapidly learned the connection, but they did have to, like, touch the objects. They couldn't do it just by looking.
0: That's crazy because they now they're running around touching everything <laughs> in order to, like, log it in. Like, yeah. They're essentially, like, having to rebuild an index to match the index of their that they already have in their touch uh, hard drive. So they, they must just be running around touching everything to, like, connect the dots like this one goes with that feeling this one's that feeling hence the guy yeah. the kid with the cat being like all right i can remember next time that you're the cat just on site and if i get if i second guess myself i'll just have to pet you just have to pick you up <laughs> yeah
1: yeah but but that's that's like how uh, that's sort of charting the history of what started as like a philosophical thought experiment all the way to a uh, fully fledged scientific experiment to, to figure it out.
0: Interesting. Well, that was, uh, I actually do feel like I got a little bit enriched here. Uh, <laughs> that's not something I think most people will think about uh, without having to have someone tell them to think about it. Um, yeah, it's Very like, interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, it's
1: one of those things where it's like, you can't really solve the philosophical problem until you have like the scientific means to actually like do it. And then you can settle it. Yeah but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of philosophers. There's, wait, that
0: other, there's that other, that's that other experiment that everybody's been just dying to try for a long time is the, uh, you put an infant in a white room with no, no sensory sensory input at all. And you leave them in there for the first five years of their life. And then you take them out and you put, you drop them in New York times. Uh, um, uh, not New York times. in uh, 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 uh what was times that place square? in Vancouver? Not Vancouver. Times square. <laughs> holy shit i'm having a mental implosion here you know that experiment the the forbidden experiment that people talk about that probably someone's
1: done what you just you dep- put a you dep- kid you just sensory deprive dep- a kid for five years then take him to new york or 10 years or whatever
0: <laughs> and the new york thing was just like that's a lot of like new, Times square is like a lot of sensory input right away so okay. i feel like it's a good spot and then you just kind of fucking see what happens, you know.
1: <laughs> That's not an experiment. <laughs> that <laughs> just is, dude. See what happens.
0: <laughs> you bring your notebook and you you just write down. Okay, okay. he's freaking out. <laughs> he's freaking okay. out.
1: Do you mean yeah. uh, there's a lot of forbidden experiments? Um, the one that I knew of is the forbidden experiment. Is all are like these these twin experiments, or or no, they're like a. Uh, they would do these experiments where they wanted to see like like language acquisition experiments where you like raise someone in isolation from language and then see if you can teach it to them later in life or like uh yeah you have like a bunch put a bunch of babies in like a pen and see if they like grow up into like a society <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, a lot of the forbidden experiments require babies, so Me I think babies. that's a big problem. With them. <laughs> you need a lot of babies, yeah. a ton of babies. I wonder if if you did do that sensory deprivation to a infant for whatever five years, and then you finally brought it out, it, I, I, oh, would well, the thing even be able to? Would it be like in a catatonic state already, or would it just be like if your mind has nothing to chew on for that long? What does it become?
1: Yeah, that's a good i think you'd probably well i know what they know from like the like feral children who like are not raised in society they are like they grew up in like the woods or whatever they yeah. cannot acquire language there's like a threshold interesting there's like a threshold in human development where you can learn language but if you don't get a language within that time then you're screwed forever you can't learn one Ugh, that
0: sucks. Yeah, unless you're speaking wolf, man. <laughs> you learned the best language of them all. You learned the pack language, man. You're it's never going to be me. alone, yeah. even when you're separated. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot yeah. of a uh, lot of heinous experiments uh, one might come up with. Yeah. that would be interesting to uh, you know
1: see the results, but <laughs> yeah, there's a actually totally and completely unethical to actually do. Yeah, there's a really uh, another vision one that like. Is like has to be a thought experiment because we can't actually do it. But like the Monty problem, maybe one day we could, and that's the one where you have it's called Mary the color scientist, and so it's this this scientist who supposedly knows every single fact that you can know about like color vision and consciousness and all that stuff, but her whole life she's been raised in like a black and white room or something, and then one day you give her an apple. And the question is, will she,
0: would she know that it's color? Yeah,
1: exactly. Would she know it was red or something like that? That is interesting.
0: Let's fucking run it. Let's do it. Let's run it. <laughs> run yeah. it. I've always thought of, uh, what would you do? What would happen if, or rather the question is how long would a, uh, subject who is say a, uh, tribesmen from Papua New Guinea who's never con- known contact with the civilized world, always known as his like couple couple hundred person village. no knowledge of the outside world. How long would that person survive if you picked him up and dropped him in the middle of New York?
1: I swear there's a movie about that. George of the Jungle.
0: <laughs> okay, not but not uh, uncontacted tribe drop one of its members into like, I think it would, I think they would uh, end up getting themselves killed or killing someone and thus.
1: Oh yeah. It would be like a police shooting. It would be like taking a, like a stockbroker and putting him in Papua New Guinea. Like he'd be dead immediately.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think a stockbroker might be able to like understand that it's in a, it's now amongst a tribe of people that haven't been contacted because they've at least heard of that before. Right. No, like no. someone if you if you take someone from modern society and put them in an uncontacted uh, island with someone, they're going to know they've been dropped in an uncontacted tribe somewhere so they can work from there. Whereas <laughs> yeah. someone that's in an uncontacted contacted tribe gets dropped in the middle of New York. They have no reference for what the hell is going on.
1: No, I don't think I don't think a stockbroker lasts very long in Papua New Guinea
0: just drop things. I think that they have the advantage over the over the Papua New Guinea boy going into New York though
1: well I guess we're just gonna have to we're gonna have to run this just gonna have to <laughs> run, fucking it. run it dude <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right this week we want you to email in your forbidden experiments to TPS podcast 420 at gmail.com come up with something that has you know some sort of value that could be gained but it was also completely unethical <laughs> not just torture all right that's the key not just torture there has to be scientific value to it but yeah. cannot be done because of ethics all right anything else you want to add sam
1: uh do you want to talk about ufc or, or just we can leave that off
0: uh, we will save it till next time right. i didn't even watch it i just i just found the results
1: uh, okay yeah
0: i want to beep it yeah that's our podcast thank you see you next